I uh, I play the piano and I led worship for many years. Um, now I leave it to the young folks. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Um, I am going to take attendance verbally, so please, when I call your name, um, just say present here or pop up now, whatever you want. Just um, let me know you're here. Uh, we are working on getting an electronic format. Um, so that you can sign in electronically. So um, until then, because that then um, a time, it posts the time in which you signed in. So um, it's, it's a whole lot easier for everyone. But for now, I'm just going to take it verbally. Each professor will do it differently, but I'm going to do it verbally. Okay, Abrante. Present. the Lord. Here. Acosta. Here. Acra. Present. Albarracín. Here. Ampudia. Here. Aseo. Oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> Aswaje. Aswaje. Here. Vados. Here. Betancourt. Here. Campos. Here. Castro. Here. César. Present. Caesar. Present. Okay. Cespedes. Present. Chakin. Here. Clancy. Okay, thank you. Cohen. Here. Davis. Here. De Armas. Here. Delvino. Here. Stoosh. Here. Stoosh. I'm sorry. It's okay. Thank you. Diaz. Here. Dominguez. Here. Espinal. Here. Espinosa, Fernandez, Fernandez, Oh, here, I'm so sorry. Okay, Gonzalez, Gonzalez, Nicole, Ireland, here, Jayanti, here, Londono. Here. Mackey. Here. McCrice. Here. Metholly. Here. Naman. Here. Ocampo. Here. Ortega. Here. Pachioki. Here. Garcia. Here. Perez. Here. Oida. Here. Uh, Puerta. Puerta. Oh, here. Ray. Here. Is that the way you pass it? Reyes? Okay. Rodriguez? Here. Rodriguez M and Rodriguez D. Okay. Sanchez? Sanchez? Sanchez is right here. Oh, okay. Tarbu? Here. Torienzo? Here. Vallejo? Here. Vidal? Here. Waffle? And Winchester. All right. Thank you. Okay. So this morning we're going to go briefly over the syllabus for um, the module in Clinical Laboratory and Diagnostics 2. Um, this is part of Clinical Medicine 2. 
And the topics will be um, correlative and um, in tandem with the ClinMed topics, okay? Um, so they're so very specific that um, we're on, it really doesn't require two sessions per week, so we're gonna meet just once a week, okay? Um, so we have the, um, the instructional objectives. I'm not going to read through those, and then you have the, it's, it's a map to your learning outcomes and competencies. Um, this is a very specific core, uh, module regarding your ability to select interpret um, laboratory tests. We will have um, the TBLs and I just want to get to here. So um, we will have a TBL followed by a quiz uh, and then we'll have midway through the, the semester we'll have a um, multiple choice exam and then at the end, we'll have another multiple choice exam. So we'll have uh, two quizzes, two TBLs, and uh, the multiple choice exams. At the end, most of the exam will be in the last topics that we covered after the midterm, but there will be some, some uh, topics from what we covered from the beginning, okay? Of course, I will be doing, um, before the final, a review so that because we're pulling things that we covered in the beginning, so that it freshens up. Um, you are aware of all the policies. Um, and please be reminded that um, we do have a single stop. If you have any needs, um, please feel free to, to use those, those services. Um, and it's a 360 embrace of the student, okay? So it's not just um, if you need food or if you need money, they have counseling, they have tutoring, I mean, they have a lot of services. So please feel free to use those services. This semester, even though there are the topics and the modules are shorter, there, there are several. And um, at the beginning, it's gonna, you know, you're, you're, you're revving up, but towards the middle of the semester, things get pretty hairy. So, you know, as things get, if you feel like you need to speak with anyone, if you feel like you need, and you don't feel comfortable coming to anyone in the faculty, single stop is there, okay, for you. Um, so today we're going to, um, cover the metabolic profile. It's gonna be a very short presentation, okay? Um, and then next week on Monday, uh, we will um, dive into the gastrointestinal system. Um, I know that it's, you know, you guys are going like 100 miles an hour, going, you know, going through esophagus like it was a racetrack, you know? Um, but we're gonna kind of pump the brakes a little bit in Clin Lab. So we'll go over exactly, you know, the lab for um, H. pylori and and um, you know when to do it, how to do it, how to interpret it, um, and so forth, and and then as well with the liver. So, um, so if you didn't get something with the Clan Med lecture, we'll reinforce it in Clan Med. Um, any questions regarding the structure of the of the course and the direction that we're going in? 
Um, I don't know if you were you did uh, notice, but all of the syllabi for ClinMed have been posted. All right, so you should be able to follow along. They've also been mapped to your learning outcomes, competencies, and the standards of accreditation, the fifth edition. So um, there's been a lot of work behind that for this semester. I hope that you'll see that they will flow a little bit easier and a little bit smoother. All right, so let's do the basic metabolic profile. And um, so we're gonna do the basic metabolic profile today. And then next, in Monday, we'll do the rest of it, which is the complete metabolic profile, which includes the liver enzymes. All right, so ready? Let's go. So when you order a basic metabolic profile, there are three things that you are, you're looking at. You're looking at electrolytes, you're looking at certain biochemical substances, and in, some, in, in, in the um, complete metabolic profile, you'll see metabolic end pro, um, products, and we'll go over them just in substrates, okay? So those are the three things that you're gonna be looking at. Your basic metabolic profile includes glucose, blood urea, nitrogen, or your BUN, creatinine, sodium, potassium, chloride, bicarb, and your calcium. So um, we're gonna go through those one by one. Um, but before that, when you are looking, let me do that at the end, let's do this now. Um, so your glucose, this is a direct measure of serum glucose, okay? The normal, um, it's, and I put that, I use that term very gingerly, um, is between 70 and 100, okay? Anything below 70 is considered hypoglycemia, anything over 100 is hyperglycemia. When do you, when do you need to, to intervene, and that's considered critical, if the glucose is less than 50, for a female, and then if it's a, in over 400. In a male, it's less than 40 and um, over 400. That's when you must intervene, okay? If it's between 70 and 50, you can pump the brakes a little bit, get a little bit more history, what's going on, what were the medications you take, you know, you, you, you get a little bit more, and you examine the patient, and um, see, see what is it that the patient needs. But when it hits 40 or below, yes, you're taking the history, but as you're taking the history, you're giving them um, glucose tablets or starting an IV and, and starting to give them glucose through the IV. So it's not you, you need to intervene quickly. And the same thing on the opposite side when it's elevated. So what are the differential diagnoses for hyperglycemia? Um, obviously, diabetes mellitus is going to be the, with the top of your list, especially in this community um, with um, our genetic predisposition and our lifestyle. Um, so top, the top is gonna be um, type two, type one, uh, type two diabetes, I'm sorry. Um, acute stress response. Uh, I, and I have seen that. It's not very common, but it does happen. Um, if a patient has an acute um, 
this uh, problem, like uh, a intestinal obstruction, for instance, um, oftentimes if it's a, an acute stress response, the glucose will be elevated. Um, pheochromocytoma, this is a tumor of the adrenal gland, and it, it um, releases epinephrine. So when epinephrine is released, what happens in the body? You're sympathetic, and then it starts stimulating your cells, and what do your cells do? It releases glucose into the system because it senses that you're gonna need it, right? Because it's the fright and flight. So you're gonna need the glucose, so it, it releases it into the serum. All right, so if you have a tumor on your adrenal gland, um, that can be caused hyperglycemia. But in addition to that, there are other problems that occur. And you'll study that in uronephro, okay? So you're gonna take a deep dive into that. But one of the characteristics of pheochromocytoma is hyperglycemia. Chronic renal failure, um, it's kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Because there's so much glucose in the serum as it goes through the glomerulus, it destroys the membrane, the basal membrane. And um, so it's the hyperglycemia that's causing the chronic renal failure. Um, so uh, pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis, um, if, it, if the pancreas is so inflamed, um, it doesn't release insulin. Uh, so um, you'll have um, elevated um, glucose. Acromegaly is another one. Acromegaly is a disorder where um, your bones and muscles, they grow um, exponentially and uh, rapidly and out of control. Well, with that, because of that growth, you'll, may, you'll probably see some hyperglycemia as well. And corticosteroid therapy, <coughs> patient who's been on corticosteroids, so um, a patient who, for instance, is, has COPD with a phenotype of, um, of uh, chronic bronchitis, who has been on a long-acting um, uh, uh, long corticosteroid, or a patient with asthma who has been on chronic inhalation and then also has a, has a acute exacerbation that requires to be taking your oral steroids. Um, and on top of that, they have type two diabetes. So their glucose is going to be elevated. So a little pearl, um, as we, then, you know, when you enter endocrinology and you cover type two diabetes, this will be reinforced. But when you are in the emergency room, and you are, and, and you're the clinician taking care of this patient who's coming in with an acute exacerbation of asthma, and you decide to give them a short course of steroids, and they are a type two diabetic on insulin, increase their insulin because their sugar is going to go up. If they're not on insulin, you can put them on regular insulin with meals, just to check check their sugar with the meal. If it is elevated, one or two, one or two. Um, units of an insulin just during the while they're on steroids. After they're done with the steroids, they don't need the insulin. What you're doing is you're covering for the hyperglycemia that will occur because of the corticosteroid. Does that make sense? Does somebody need to go over it again? Is it also with a 
Not so much, no. It's with oral corticosteroids, correct, yes. Um, and so, and that's a common thing that I see, you know, they go to the emergency room, they're given corticosteroids, but they're not given the regular insulin, and they come to me two days later for follow-up, and their glucose is 400. So, you know, if you are the, prim the, the provider in the urgent care, or you are the provider in the emergency room, keep that in mind, okay? Um, and, and really, it's a sense of, you know, is this a patient who is poorly controlled? Is this a patient that is reliable? Is this, you know, all of those things factor in whether you're going to put the patient on insulin or not. But every time you, if you're going to prescribe that corticosteroid and the patient has type 2 diabetes, think about the surge in glucose that's going to happen. All right? Uh, the hypoglyce for hypoglycemia, um, you may have an insulinoma. This is a tumor of the pancreas that, that produces insulin. The other one does not produce insulin, right? With pancreatitis, with insulinoma is the opposite, okay? It produces too much insulin, and the patient has hypoglycemia. Patients with hypothyroidism oftentimes will have um, episodes of hypoglycemia. It's not constant. It kind of comes and goes, um, and it's something to, to you need to follow follow closely. Hypopituitarism. Um, this is when there is a um, dysfunction of the pituitary gland, where the hormones are not being produced. So um, and that stimulates, you know, that that whole cycle that stimulates the thyroid, it stimulates the, the adrenals. Um, and it's not doing that, so you may have episodes of hypoglycemia. Addison's disease is another um, uh, disorder of the adrenal gland, and you'll cover that in endocrinology. Um, extensive liver disease, insulin overdose, very common, especially in the elderly who are on insulin, because they can't see, um, and they measure their, their units and they give themselves too much or they forgot that they took it and they think, that, oh no, I haven't taken my, my insulin and now they, they take a double dose and then they're calling 911 because they have hypoglycemic event. Um, starvation is another um, reason why patients would have hypoglycemia. Um, keep in mind that patients who have eating disorders um, and um, you know, with anorexia nervosa, uh, they will, they will um, uh, present with hypoglycemia. Okay, the blood urea nitrogen, um, it measures the urea nitrogen in your blood, okay? And what we talked about earlier, this is an end product of protein metabolism, right? So um, as it goes through the liver and um, you're, you are uh, measuring that not just to see you know how much okay what what does it mean what you're looking at is the liver function okay um it is oftentimes related to renal disease but it's less accurate than creatinine so be careful if you see an ele elevated or a low bun immediately you think renal no because it is a measure of the end product of metabolism um, and that is in the liver, okay? 
So think liver, not just kidney. Um, normal, again, use the term gingerly, is between six and 21 milligrams per deciliter. Um, and when is it critical is being when the BUN is elevated of uh, 100 milligrams or anything over 100. Now, if it's isolated, think liver. But if it's in conjunction with elevation of the creatinine, now you think kidneys. Does that make sense? If it's isolated, it meaning that the creatinine is normal, think liver. If it both the BUN and the creatinine are elevated, think kidney. Um, your differential diagnosis for elevated BUN is renal. Um, if the kidney, if if the creatinine is elevated, so pre-renal causes pre-renal means before it gets to the kidney. So why that? Remember, we think liver, okay? Because it's the metabolism of proteins. Where does that occur? In the liver. So think about pre-renal causes. What's going on in the liver? So your your questioning of the patient needs to be that you know you know um, the ROS of GI. Um, and then when you examine the patient, make sure you examine the liver carefully. Um, and then when you order any imaging, make sure that it includes the liver, okay? Renal causes as well, and post-renal azotemia, meaning that it is something that is the after the ureter in the bladder. Something is, is blocking the passage of the urine um, at the end of the ureter, okay? So pre-renal, think liver, renal causes, you know, anything that can cause a chronic renal failure. And then post-renal azotemia is when something is blocking the ureter, okay? It's after the kidney, post-renal. And anything can, can cause that. It could be a kidney stone, it could be a tumor, it could be a kink, it could be a congenital abnormality of the end of the ureter. That's very common in, in boys. Um, especially for mature boys. Um, so isolated, think liver. In conjunction with creatinine, think kidney, okay? Um, and history, 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 very important. Um, on the other hand, if you do have a decreased BUN, typically you're going to have some other abnormalities in the liver enzymes. Um, Overhydration because of um, syndrome of inappropriate um, ADH secretion, and that's a disorder of the adrenal gland. Um, so notice how everything has to do with the topics that you are going to be covering this semester, okay? So if you have a decreased BUN, that's liver. Where are you gonna cover liver? In GI. Um, Overhydration because of um, syndrome of inappropriate ADH secretion, that's endocrine, that's the adrenal gland. Um, negative nitrogen balance, that has to do with nutrition, that will be in GI. Um, that negative balance is because the patient's not eating enough protein, all right? Um, pregnancy can also cause a lower BUN, um, but that can be because of the increase of volume that occurs during pregnancy, okay? 
Um, and then nephrotic syndrome can also, um, you know, cause uh, the BUN to be decreased. Now, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, how am I going to study for clinical laboratory and diagnostics? <laughs> this lecture is more for you to get acquainted with what is in the basic metabolic profile. And as you are going through your, your modules in ClinMed, you're thinking about, okay, how is this going to look on the, the, um, on the basic metabolic profile? You know, if, it's, if, if it has, if hypoglycemic is one of the characteristics of the disorder, or if an elevated BUN is a characteristic of the disorder. So when you order the labs, what is this going to look like, okay? Um, so creatinine, again, it uh, measures uh, your serum creatinine, um, and it is a catabolic product. Um, and um, it's minimally affected by the liver, so we know that um, if it's abnormal, it is related to the kidney, okay? So um, normal typically is between 0.44 to 1.03. Um, and critical when you have to call, um, you know, the, the nephrologist for, for dialysis, Emergency dialysis is if the, the creatinine is greater than four, okay? So things that will elevate the creatinine, um, anything that affects the function of the liver, okay? Anything from an inflammation to obstruction to um, chronic renal failure because of diabetes, um, but also, and, and this is for your, your, my emergency medicine folks, um, any trauma to the muscle, when, you know, if, if the patient sustains um, trauma to, to muscles, for instance, a football player gets hit and falls, you know, gets hit and falls, um, that breaks the muscle and it releases a lot of um, creatinine, and it causes a rhabdomyolysis. Um, so it's breakdown of the muscle that occurs, and that can cause the creatinine to, to elevate. So when you're, you're evaluating a patient who has had multiple injuries, um, blunt force injuries, um, know that there's a lot of muscle breakage, and the creatinine will be elevated. And actually, it's a great measure to see how the patient is recovering, because as the, the rhabdo starts um, uh, resolving, the creatinine will start going down, okay? So it's a good way to monitor, you know, how the patient's doing um, with rhabdomyolysis, yes. Have you cases with Yes, that's a whole nother... <laughs> <laughs> That you can cover, that probably Dr. Dejanos will be talking about the immune response. That is not so much because of injury of the muscle, but because of inflammation of the vessels that feed the muscle, okay? So um, we really don't understand the, the full, fully understand why is it that COVID um, attacks the vessels like that, causing an inflammation of the vessels. 
but because it's feeding, that inflammation is, you know, it's feeding, it goes into the muscle and, and it creates a rhabdo in some cases. Yeah. And they were suggesting that it might be a rhabdo, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's an inflammatory response, right. but not trauma. But uh, with trauma, you, you, when you, you suspect rhabdomyolysis to creatine is elevated, um, and sometimes they, need, uh, they will need um, uh, emergency dialysis. Acromegaly and gigantism are both um, pituitary disorders and uh, you can't see elevated creatinine. Uh, and that has to do more because of the amount of, of muscle because they're so big that the muscles, you know, the, num the, the amount of muscle that the patient has will increase the, their creatinine. Decreased creatinine and debilitation and decreased muscle mass, we did see this a lot in the elderly, in your geriatric population. As they get older, especially the elderly, elderly, the 80-year-old, 90-year-old, okay? Um, and this population is growing exponentially because of the baby boomer pop, you know, back in the 60s, and the 50s, I'm sorry. Um, now they are in their 70s, and in, you know, some of them um, in the late 70s. Um, they start losing muscle mass, so their creatinine is actually lower. Are we going to do anything about it? It all depends on how the, what's going on with the patient, you know, and uh, what is the patient and the family's plan. So this is a, a team and a patient-centered decision that has to be made um, in, in these cases like that. Sodium is also measured, and you know, that's an electrolyte, um, and um, the, it's, it's really important in terms of um, the, the uh, homostasis and the extracellular space. Um, and the normal is between 136 and 146. 136 and 146 milliequivalent per decimal per liter. When do we worry? Is when it drops under 120, you know, 110, 115. Um, even 120, I would say, would be considered critical, and at that point, we need to um, intervene. Um, and um, the the patient will, at that point, will present um, with obtunded uh, and with um, disturbed meta me mental uh, mental capacities that they are not able to add, subtract, and they don't know where they are, they don't know who they are, um, they're very disoriented. Um, the, the classic hyponatremia patient that you'll see, you will see, is the elderly patient that lives alone that was found on the floor disoriented by their, their um, caregiver. Um, and uh, now, the, to correct electrolyte in normal with sodium, you have to be very careful. That's done very, very gingerly um, with fluids, but because if you overhydrate, then you you are diluting and you're making the situation worse. So you have to be very careful how that's going to be done, and that's covered in another module. You know 
how it's done. If it's elevated, uh, you know, if you have a, an elevated sodium, think about dehydration. Um, so here are your, di your differential diagnosis for hypernatremia and for hyponatremia. Um, we went through that. Uh, there is an endocrinology disorder that uh, causes hyponatremia that um, uh, affects the pituitary gland, um, and you'll cover that in the in endo. So notice that that all of your elements in, in the basic metabolic profile, it can be nephrotic, it can be it can be renal, it can be hepatic, it can be and endocrinologic, you have to history, 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 physical, and then you put it together. You connect the dots and say, this is hepatic, this is renal, this is because the patient um, is poor, poor nutrition, um, or the patient is being debilitated, loss of muscle mass in an 85-year-old. Oh, potassium. Um, and that this is uh, an important uh, cat, uh, cation, yeah, um, in the interest of the cellular space um, to keep homeostasis of fluid um, and metabolism. Uh, the normal 3.4 to 5.2, um, and the critical is under 2.4 or over 6.5. Here are your differential diagnoses. Um, the one that I would say that you will, you will see quite frequent is your patient who is on a loop diuretic like Lasix for instance and a potassium um, supplement and they are taking too much potassium um, and you know, that they present with hyperkalemia. The other one is dehydration. Um, especially in the elderly. Uh, hypokalemia, uh, you know, I'm not going to, to go through this. I'm just picking up the key points and things that I know that you'll see in clinical practice. And, and just highlight the, the point that I'm constantly making is that when you order BUN and creatinine, you've got to think about all of the organs, not just one, okay? Um, so, interestingly enough, with hypokalemia, a patient who sustains a burn, now this is at least 25 to 30% of their body's surface, so a fairly large burns, um, they will have hypokalemia. Can somebody think about why? Why would someone with a 25, 30% of body surface would have hypokalemia? Yes, sir. I'm sorry? Because the speak? cells are being burned in the cells in the, the cells in the cell. So That's right. The cell. There, there is interruption of the skin, and the cells of the skin and the, the subcutaneous, and um, it, there's disruption, and they can't sustain metabolism, and you'll see they'll lose potassium into the extracellular space. So, yeah. So they're not, it's, it's, You'll, you'll have hypokalemic in. So with a patient with a burn, if you work in the burn unit, oftentimes you'll see them add a little, a little potassium in their regimen, okay? Um, 
uh, if you are a surgically you know um, inclined, probably the burn unit is the most interesting unit to work in, um, in my opinion, because it's met, 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 it's metabolic, it's pulmonary, it's cardio, it's GI, it's derm, it's everything, you know, and um, in, if you're a pathophysiology nerd like I am, it's, it's very stimulating because you gotta think about everything. Um, all right. Do not ask me why licorice causes hypokalemia because then nobody really knows what the me mechanism is. And why would anybody eat so much licorice? I do not know. Uh, but it does cause hypokalemia. Um, chloride, I think this is the last one. What time is it? Okay, so five, five more minutes, we'll take a break and then we come back and we'll quickly, uh, we'll um, do a kind of a wrap up and then we're done, okay? All right, so the chloride um, <clears throat> is another electrolyte. Between 98 and 108 is considered to be normal. Um, when you need to intervene quickly is if it drops less than 80 or it is greater than 115. The, when you will see the hyperchloremia is primarily in dehydration. Um, you may see it in, in metabolic acidosis, um, like patients with type 1 diabetes and diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, you may see that also in um, renal dysfunction, hyperparathyroidism. But the primary one that you will see in clinical practice, if, the hyper, if it's hyperchloremia, it's dehydration. Hypochloremia is overhydration. So when you, when you evaluate a patient in the emergency room and um, they're dehydrated and you do the labs and they're hypochloremic and you start hydrating them, follow up after they're done with their, their bag of saline or one or two bags of saline, um, you need to repeat the, the basic metabolic profile to make sure that your intervention has um, resolved the hyperchloremia. But bicarb, um, it measures the CO2 content in the blood. Now remember, this is venous, this is not arterial. Okay, with the ABGs that we studied last semester, we're looking at the bicarb itself in the, in the arterial system. With the B, BMP, with the basic metabolic, it's you're measuring the CO2 content in um, the venous system. Um, normal is between 22 and 32, and um, critical is if it drops below 6. Um, and then what happened? What is bicarb? What does bicarb do? It's a buffer, right? Mm -hmm. If it drops less than six, there's no buffer, so the patient will become acidotic. It's acidotic, severely acidotic. Um, severe vomiting and high volume gastric suction. When would you suck the volume in the stomach at high volumes? is when a patient has a bleeding ulcer, an actively bleeding ulcer, and you're sucking out all of the, 
the gastric um, contents and blood, um, follow, keep close eye on that bicarb, okay? Um, another uh, reason why would you would do that, high volumes is in acute pancreatitis. Um, they'll put a nasal gastric tube and they, uh, they um, suction out the, the gastric um, air contents at a very high volume. And if that happens, um, make sure that you're following the bicarb closely because basically what you're doing is mechanically vomiting. Right? So if the patient is vomiting like that, it's losing acid. So you have to correct that and keep an eye on that bicarb. Um, we know that with COPD, there, you know, because of, it, but that's on the arterial side, but it can reflect in the in the um, BMP and metabolic alkalosis, which is a a result of severe vomiting. And the little ones, and we'll cover this in pediatrics. I've been asked to teach pediatrics in the summer, so you're going to see me quite a bit. Um, that is my passion. So I'm going to, yeah. That's when you see me really pumped up. Um, so with the little ones, especially with newborns, if they have an obstruction of the pyloric, of the pylorus, that's called pyloric stenosis, um, within the first uh, few months, they start vomiting, 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 they don't stop vomiting, and it's projectile. It, when they vomit, it hits the wall, okay? It's not vomit and it drools, it's, it's projectile vomiting. And um, when you do the labs, you may see an elevated bicarb. Decreased bicarb, you think of the other end of the GI tract, okay? So um, it's chronic diarrhea. Um, an HIV positive patient with um, cryptosporidia in, in the bowel um, is, you will see a decreased um, uh, bicarb. Patients who have, um, autoimmune disorders that affect the small bowel, uh, which causes chronic diarrhea. Patients who've had a, a dice, uh, removal of uh, a large portion of the intestine, um, because now when they eat, it, there's no, you know, there's no absorption, so it goes from the mouth straight into the rectum and out um, with chronic, chronic diarrhea. And you'll see a decrease by carb then. Calcium will also be in your beta basic metabolic profile, um, and uh, you, that's something that you'll be need to monitor in several disorders across the, the spectrum. Um, now, with calcium, you have to be careful when you order the calcium. Do you want the total calcium, or do you want ionized calcium? Why would you order ionized calcium? What's ionized calcium? Hmm? It's not attached to anything. That's free-flowing calcium. When you order a total calcium, it cal calculates calcium that is attached to the bone as well. 
but when you go under ionized calcium, is calcium that is free-flowing. That type of calcium, is you'll see in parathyroidism of, um, disorders of the parathyroid, because the parathyroid is not producing, it's not causing the, the attachments of the calcium into the bone. So you have a lot of ionized calcium floating around. So if you are thinking, hmm, this patient, this is a, a pathological fracture, or there's, it looks like the bone is weak, you're thinking parathyroid, order ionized calcium as well. You do total and ionized. But if that's not in your differential diagnosis, don't order the ionized, okay? So, you know, be very selective. Think about what your differential diagnosis is, and then know that if you, you're thinking parathyroid, order the ionized as well. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I find myself kind of ahead of myself here. Um, vitamin D intoxication. So, you know, um, especially in the northern states and states where they don't have a whole lot of sunlight, right? Because um, they, they need sunlight for the vitamin D absorption. So the doctor tells them you gotta take vitamin D and they think, oh, the more vitamin D I take, the better. Uh, no. Um, so you have to be very specific, but if a patient comes in and they've been on vitamin D, please ask how much vitamin D are you taking? Um, you know, if they have hyperkalemia, calcemia, um, you know, when you take your history and you're asking medications and you're thinking hypercalcemia, hmm, um, it might be that they're taking too much with too much vitamin D and it's an easy fix, okay? Um, with hyperparathyroid, what you're thinking, what would lead you to think that is any pathological fracture or weakness of the bone. Hypocalcemia is the opposite when a patient does not have enough vitamin D. Um, or hypothyroidism, parathyroidism, renal failure as well. All of those you need to keep in mind. You know, take the history, do your physical, do vindicate, okay? And come up with your top three diagnoses and then you order the labs to confirm what you already know, right? That's been my mantra since last semester. You're not ordering to diagnose, you're ordering to confirm what you already know, okay? All right, let's take a 15 minute break. Come back at um, exactly nine o'clock. We'll wrap it up and I'll see you on Monday after that. Whiteboard. Um, I understand that you have already taken pictures of this, so we good? Okay. So I'm gonna erase part of it, and um, we're gonna go over a couple things. So. So when you get the report of the, the basic metabolic profile, um, to me, it's easier for me to uh, 
um, on the side of the of the of the report or on a piece of paper because everything is digital now, but on a piece of paper. Um, this is the way that. Um, I'll do it on that side for y'all over there, okay? So, on in this space here, you put the, the sodium, and here you put the potassium. Here you put your bicarb and your chloride, and then your BUN and creatinine, your calcium, and your glucose. When you look at it that way, from now you can say, okay, hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, um, bicarb is elevated, or, or the chloride, the BUN, the creatinine, is, that, is it isolated or is it, co is it co correlating with the creatinine and the glucose and the calcium? To me, when you, when you put it that way, you diagnostically, I'm talking about, you know, when you, you, you are creating your differential diagnosis, there's, it's a little easier to, to correlate hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, because there are endocrinologic disorders that that is one of the uh, fundamental presentations. So if it's, they're together like that, you can say, ah, this patient has this disorder. Or like I said, the BUN and the creatinine, putting them together like that, you can say, oh, isolated BUN, I think about this, correlating with, I need to look at the renal, you know, a little bit closer, look at the urine, we're going to um, maybe order a renal ultrasound. So um, when you put it in that format, you can start correlating it with the patient's presentation. That when, when they do it, you know, when you put it up in the EMR and it's all in a list like that, it's kind of hard to, to integrate and correlate everything. But when you put it like that, at least for my, in my practice and in, I think probably 95% of most clinicians, this is the way that, I don't know if you've seen it, if some, some clinicians have done that. Um, yes, I am old school. I'm, I, don't, I don't deny it, but to me, this has been a great tool to use when I'm, I'm evaluating a lab and correlating with the patient's presentation. I'm gonna do it over here for you guys so you can see. So you have your, your sodium, your potassium, your bicarb, your chloride, your BUN, creatinine, your glucose, and over here, your, your calcium, okay? So what I would encourage you to do as you're going through these disorders, okay, especially in endocrine, I want you to put that in your, your outline, okay? So that if it's hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, and this is this disorder, put that and say, this is what it's gonna look like. When you go through uronephro and it's BUN and creatinine, this is what it's gonna look like. When you get to the hepatic and um, the biliary tract in GI, put that down and, and next week we'll do the LFDs. Um, and I'll show you how to, how to do it so that it helps you to make your diagnosis. 
And remember, when you order labs, it's to confirm what you already know. You've taken a history, you've done Vindicate, you do the, the physical, you go to your Vindicate. Now you're gonna order one, two, three, what do I need to order to confirm this diagnosis? What do I need to order to confirm diagnosis number two and diagnosis number three? Okay? You remember Vindicate? Okay. All right, everybody on board? Everybody understands? No, do I need to repeat it? No? This, I was taught this way. The, my predecessors have been taught this way. It's just something that has been put together like that for millennia. And I, it works. It just works. And it, for me, when I, when I study for my, my, pan, my panry, for instance, when I, when I study for my boards, um, and I make my outlines, I put the labs like that. So I can correlate, okay, this is what it's gonna look like. So if they give me a case, I start in my head, that's the way I, I, I kind of visualize it like that. Okay? All right, so um, next week on Monday, we're gonna do the, the liver enzymes. And then we're going to then integrate it with your basic metabolic profile, okay? Um, before we leave today, I wanted to share with you that um, one of the things that, that my responsibility is, is accreditation and, one, and, and programmatic assessment. And that means that I evaluate and analyze the curriculum. And after going through the fall semester, your performance and in all of the courses, your evaluations, um, looking at the syllabi, looking at the assessments that were used, um, one of the things that kept coming up was anxiety. And I said, we have to do something about this. So I offered on Wednesdays, we were gonna have Wellness Wednesday. We're gonna have half an hour of a wellness activity. So we're gonna start um, with measured breathing, which is something that I do um, on a regular basis. And then I'm going to bring once a month, um, or maybe twice a month, I'll bring, um, I'm gonna bring someone who, do, who does Tai Chi. We'll do yoga, okay? We may go to the gym, all right? So, you know, we're gonna do these activities 30 minutes, that's it, 30 minutes of your time. It may be very early in the morning, okay, at 7.30, or we can do it at, at lunchtime, or we can do it after class at five. But the point is to, to offer you the opportunity to shut down and reboot, okay, on a weekly basis. It's wonderful to have two weeks off for Christmas, but this is something that you need on a regular basis. And then when you, when you get into that rhythm, you find yourself doing it on a daily basis. And it really helps to keep yourself centered. So I will be sending out an email on um, you know, what time, what are we going to do you know, each week. Um, and hopefully with good weather, we can do Tai Chi outside and you know, that sort of thing. Um, many, many years ago, <laughs> when Zumba was a thing, 
Everybody's doing Zumba. I, I was a Zumba instructor, so we may have a, a, a dance session. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, oh no. No, no, you have to come to the session. Um, actually, in 2013, when I was here, we did Zumba um, as well, so it was, it was so much fun. Um, I just want to, to, we have to do something, that's, that's my job. My job is to identify where the deficiencies are and what do we need to do to fix it. You know, I'm, I'm sure you notice that ph pharmacology is totally different, okay? And that's my job. So this is something that, you know, just kept coming up in faculty meetings and, you know, it's, it's, it is an issue, we need to address it. And, um, so I'll be sending out, please consider joining us. It is not mandatory, it is voluntary, okay? And I hope that you will consider coming and um, just taking those 30 minutes to, to shut down and reboot, okay? All right, thanks guys, I'll see you on Monday.